like a rented mule and the jet forces are coming for you you're listening to the weird i thought for a second you were actually singing a real song like journey or something uh i was it wasn't journey it was dan la joie yeah that, that that's a very big name in the music world well i haven't had a breakthrough yet but i think that that is going to help with a breakthrough uh i'm proposing that is our new uh intro music you just keep proposing that okay i'm just gonna get a big fail rubber stamp and just go funk riley how are you i'm great what is happening in your world this is episode 28 this is the second episode of season two it's the dead of winter here in canada and we're in deep fucking lockdown we're in deep lockdown because people were stupid at Christmas. I, can I just say this? Uh, so we have a little bit of snow. It's white outside, but there's no snow. No, and it's super mild. I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's cold. It's like minus what? One, well, two. We haven't had one of those really great snowfalls that everyone loves where school gets canceled. I know there's no school because we're in lockdown. Yeah. But you know those great snowstorms where they just say you know watch out and it's great and you you step in it and it goes up to your knees i love that instead of uh school being canceled by snow it's power it's the internet outages that uh, cause school being out which has happened by the way a few times seriously yeah there's no internet you can't go to school oh god this world and for everybody that broke the rules at christmas really really yeah it's a challenging time for sure you know, someone who enjoys the snow, and I, we've talked about it in past episodes, I build slides in the backyard for my children. Yeah, you build like a wonderland out there. Mm-hmm, and can't do that. Now, what we do have, though, is a puppy. I know, I meant to ask you about that earlier. Are you going to show him to me before you leave? I will. Now, how how is it? So, we are now uh, in our second week of having Penny, mm-hmm. part of our family. The first week was if I could uh, use two words to describe the week, sleep deprived. So lots of crying. We sl- we stayed downstairs with her. We would take turns who would stay and just trying to reassure her and make her feel safe. And uh, But then starting last weekend, we have gone up to our room. And the first night I put earplugs in, but I didn't actually need them. So we're, that's good. Still being housed like a, a bathroom trained. Of course, you, you, you'll have a roll of paper towel nearby for a couple of weeks. It's mm-hmm. just, your little bladders just are not developed right. yet. And, and almost all those mistakes are ours because we're not... You're not reading the signs, yeah. Right. So, no, and she's lovely. She's, you know, my, my children are having issues with, you know, she nips and stuff like that when she's playing. And that's going to go on for months until she gets her adult teeth and learns bite control. Yeah. And well, hey, she's pretty good though. Even with me, like I'm more comfortable playing that way with her and she'll put her teeth on you, but she's not trying to bite you. So she's, she's quite the character. She's got a lot of personality and uh, she's feisty, but incredibly cuddly. She's a, a golden doodle mm-hmm. and very kind, good animal. Oh, I'm so happy. The kids must be over the moon. It was a very special moment. They found out Christmas morning that they were getting a dog. They've been asking for about two years. They, uh, My daughter cried. It was the last gift they got. They were opening presents. My daughter cried. My son looked extremely shocked. My wife uh, was, well, it, there was confusion. She thought I was going to be recording the moment. Oh. And then she ended up having to, and so she thought she was taking a video, but just took a picture. 
<laughs> oh, okay. It's a lo- it's an amazing picture though. It's a great it, she captured the moment, right? Right. And in course. some ways, I think pictures sometimes are better that way. It was lovely, and they've been so excellent. My son's twelve, and he's being super responsible, taking her out uh, when he can. Sometimes because we're all home because of the pandemic, he'll do his schooling with her so that he can watch her, so that Marion and I can do our jobs. You no, know? and and my daughter who's nine. She's, uh, she, you know, she's playing, she's engaged. She'll take uh, her out, but usually with her brother. And it's, um, it's really nice. And I think it's brought some light into our world and light that we needed. Oh, and they're so fun and loving. They're so fun to have around because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just a year and a half into a dog. So I still have a young dog. Yeah, and- that's right. That's right. We're actually so in love with having the, our dog. We're getting a second one. Same what? kind of dog. Yeah. We are really, really, yeah. We're uh, we're going to put our name on the list. I'm uh, moving, as you know, in four months to a a, a house that we're having built in the country. A citadel. <laughs> I love that a citadel. It's such a video game thing to say a citadel. Um, a house out in the country, and uh, once we get settled in there, we're definitely going to uh, get a second dog. Two, two reasons for it: one, that we want a second dog, but also to keep our dog a little bit more engaged because we can't be with him and engage with him all the time. And he's a high energy dog. Well, actually, uh, you're pretty old, so I imagine even going for walks is asking a lot. Now. Well, I'm not as old as your fucking sister. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that girl, she's like the crypt keeper, man. She's, yeah, she's been around. She's, she's seen some shit. Like, do you know, do you know, she, wait, she did all her schooling using an oil lamp. Uh, yeah, that's your sister, man. She's, uh, well, she still talks about uh, the night of her prom and it being ruined by uh, news of the sinking of the Titanic. Yeah. Well, there you go. Which actually doesn't make any sense because that was in uh, September. Oh, well, some people have proms delayed. Maybe she failed something and had to go to the stupid person's prom that they have in September because she had to go to summer school. (laughs) Imagine there was such a thing. Oh, man. Hey, Riley, I have a show for you today. I'm excited. Now, you took us to Japan, uh, which was great because we haven't been to that part of the world yet with any of our stories. At least I don't think we have, right? I don't think we have either. No. I feel like we have, though. Have we? I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway. We're, no. we're both old and senile. We'll do more Japan, though, because Japan, they're very superstitious. Very superstitious culture, very mm-hmm. into ghosts and shit and manifestations. That's their, that's their thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I will, I'll try to find some more because there's a lot of ghost stories in Japan. Well, that whole part of the world, like we've, we've touched a little bit. We had one story out of, yeah, one story out of Australia. But there, that whole, there's tons. There's tons of stuff to mine there for sure. I'm actually going back. Uh, with today's episode. Wayback Machine? No, not that way back. But I'm going back geographically to a place that we've talked about. Oh. Uh, we're going to Long Island, New York. Okay. Actually, very close to Montauk, where we're going. So, uh, 30 miles outside of New York City, nestled in the Long Island town of Amityville. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Stands the house forever linked to the Amity Amityville Horror phenomenon do you know i know the defeo case inside and out well then you're going to be priceless here good so and i'm going to say this this one has is special for me because this was one of the first and i'm not gonna say it's the first but it was one of the first horror movies that i ever saw i remember i was at my friend ragu duca this would have been late 80s mid 80s 
Is this the guy that had the accident or something, or he was ill? He passed away at the age of uh, 16. Oh, God, that story stayed with me. He was my best friend, but we and we did a lot of stuff together, including watching this movie. And we watched it, uh, you know, in preparation for this episode. I don't know. Like, certainly our parents had no idea that we were watching it because mm-hmm. Margot Kidder uh, is nude in the movie. And it's it's spooky. It's a scary little movie. It is. And it, it's not The Exorcist. No, not at all. It's not really possession. The Exorcist, to me, is one of the high bars. Yes. Yes. It's really spooky to this day. The way it's shot, it's just terrifying. And it's James Brolin back in the day when he was mm-hmm. a he was very handsome. Alien. Both of the two of them. Margot Kidder is breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah, and James Brolin was uh, Barbara Streisand's companion for years. That's right. That's yeah. right. Now, did you know Amityville is known as the first commercial haunted house? In that, it was the first haunted house story to become. A global phenomenon. It was the beginning of that. I didn't know that. So I, that movie haunted my dreams uh, for years as a kid. And I always found it just very spooky. And also re- remember knowing this is based on a true story, you know. Oh, yeah. Do you know what the worst part of it is for me? And I hope I'm not jumping on your toes here. The part that fucked me up so much because I read the book before I saw the movie. I was a member of the fan club, too. Mm. I still have it. I still have the original paperback that I bought at the drugstore with my allowance. The part that fucks me up the most is Jody the pig. No, but that that part. Yeah, one we'll get into that part for some reason. I think because it's a pig. Nobody wants to deal with a spectral pig. Let's uh, let's dive in. So you've already sort of mentioned a little bit of the beginning of this story. On November thirteenth, nineteen seventy four, the estate was the scene of mass murder. It was the middle of the night when 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. Did I pronounce that right? Is it DeFeo? When 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed six people, which were his entire family, with a 35 caliber rifle while they were asleep. His parents, Louise and Ronald DeFeo Sr., and his siblings, 18-year-old Don, 13-year-old Allison, 12-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John Matthew. Uh... Though he confessed to his deeds, DeFeo's defense would later attempt to enter an insanity plea. DeFeo claimed he was guided by malevolent voices in his head and couldn't control his behavior. It was this claim and the murders themselves that spawned the notion that the home itself was haunted and that the DeFeo family as a whole were victims of the house. However, a look at DeFeo Jr.'s life provides an alternative reading of the events. With an abusive father and passive mother, the boy's troubled childhood led to substance abuse as an adult. Mm. He not only lashed out at his father, but once even threatened him with a gun. The parents hoped letting him live at home with a weekly stipend would help as DeFeo Jr. could barely hold a job. On the day in question, DeFeo Jr. left work and went to a bar. He kept calling his home to no avail and complained to patrons about it. Eventually, he left, only to return when he yelled, you gotta help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Authorities found all six members dead in their beds and they were all shot with a rifle, they think around 3.15 a.m. Oh God. All of them were positioned on their stomachs and there was no sign of a struggle, nor was there any sign that any of them had been drugged. DeFeo Jr. changed his alibi several times from claiming he was the bar during the time of the murders to 
The fact that mob hitman Louis Fellini killed his family while forcing DeFeo Jr. to watch. He eventually confessed that he gunned his own family down and stood trial on October 14th, 1975. Though attorney William Weber tried to enter an insanity plea, the pros- prosecution argued DeFeo Jr. was a mere drug addict mm. who was well aware of what he was doing that night. He was convicted on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. I wonder if he's out. He's not. Did he die? He's still alive. And he's still in prison. He's still in prison. He's trying to get out on, pro, but it's 25 years to life. Okay. So he's currently trying to get out on parole, mm-hmm. uh, but they keep denying him. Oh, wow. Okay. I kind of feel like it really points to mental illness, but we'll talk about that later. Oh, th- like this is this is um, an interesting story. This is a fascinating story mm-hmm. um, on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Is there some weird stuff that we're going to talk about? Oh, for sure. You know, in that that 1979 film, they even talk about how a lot of this can be explained. A lot of the things that happened can be explained. Well, did you ever wonder, and we should have a podcast maybe where we discuss this, is what the fuck constitutes mental illness in the eyes of the law? Because there are some really crazy fucking people out there, like some serial killers of note, who are in just prison. They're just in prison. And it's right. very, very clear from their actions that there is something really fucking wrong with them. And yet they're in prison. It's an interesting thing to talk about the whole concept of prison and what it's intended to do. Mm-hmm. So if it is meant purely to separate antisocial people from the rest of society, fine. If its intention though is to rehabilitate, we do a really shitty job at that. Oh, do we ever? You know, and so people that are mentally ill, do we do a good job at servicing them and providing them the the care that they deserve, in my opinion? Yeah, I agree. Because a mental illness is an illness. No one asks for it. Well, no, and, and the MO behind some of these murderers, like the famous murderers, like why the hell was Charles Manson ever in a normal facility? He's really mentally ill. Like he is deranged. And it's just weird to me that they're not, that, that a certain type of person is just not put somewhere that's not a prison, you know? Like trans-Allegheny. Trans-Allegheny? Well, no, you don't want to go there because someone will put a bed on you and jump on it. Oh, God, that was a terrible one. That was the saddest one. No wonder the guy's a ghost. Jesus. Oh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and check season one for the trans-Allegheny. Trans-Allegheny. So our story continues. 13 months later, the Lutz family purchase the home where all these murders occurred at a drastically reduced price of $80,000. It was only 13 months later? Only 13 months later. I never realized that the time frame was that narrow. And if you look at this property? I've been there. Okay, so you know, even for that time, it's incredible. I mean, this is waterfront. Yeah, it's right on the water. When I was there, it was a and b You could stay there. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. People are fucking weird. I wouldn't want to stay yeah, there. New way. So uh, th- this family, the Lutzes, they, they buy the home for $80,000. It's a steal. But they o- they end up only lasting 28 days before leaving it. Wild, eh? 28 days. That's it. The Lutzes included George, who's the father, Kathy, who's the mom, and the children, Daniel, Christopher, 
and Missy. Their spine-tingling tales of paranormal activity are what propelled the legend of the Amityville horror and spawned a torrent of books, documentaries, and films. George and Kathy Lutz believed their purchase of this 4,000-square-foot house at $80,000 was a steal, but moved 28 days later after these terrifying after terrifying incidents allegedly forced them to flee. Mm-hmm. So what did the Lutz family actually experience? There's a lot of people who look at this family through the lens of either the book or the movie. Everything I've read, the book exaggerated their story. Mm-hmm. The movie even more so. Yes, the movie was, uh, yeah, I agree. So the family has even said, the, the, like these children who are now, you know, in their late 40s uh, have said, no, these things happen, but not like what you see in the movie, which at times is a little bit ridiculous. Yes. Some of the things, and like out there. Yeah. Uh, so what did they allegedly experience? So they say that they had uh, green slime oozing from the walls eyes peering into the house from outside, foul odors. Apparently, Kathy, the mom, levitated in her bed. George, the father, did wake up every night at 3.15 a.m., which was the exact same time that the murders occurred. Uh, Now, and, and a few things, too, I need to say. George Lutz had a history of dabbling in the occult. Right. He was known to try to summon spirits and other supernatural entities. I love the fact he was just known for that. Like he'd show up at a party and there's a seance going on in the kitchen 10 minutes later. Yeah. So did perhaps he wake something up, you know, on the property? Like the exorcist, to, right? Like the week Right. Before. And he knew that he was moving into a home uh, that where murders had occurred. Yeah. Did he try to commune with uh, the DeFeos? DeFeos? DeFeos. Now, were there also not a, an issue with flies? Yes. Is that figures heavily in the book? Yeah, and I'll get to that. Okay, cool. So the Lutz family claimed to smell strange odors, seeing green slime oozing in the walls and keyholes. And here's another interesting one. They also experienced cold spots in certain areas of the house. Now, when you think cold spots, you might be thinking drafts or just feeling the way it was described is like freezing, sort of very unnatural cold, mm-hmm. where it's not that cold outside but you are frozen to the bone. Okay, yeah. And there are multiple people that claimed that. Well, that's like a classic uh, haunting thing anyway, right? Is cold spots. Right. Other paranormal activity, there was a nearby garage door that would open and close at night. And uh, George apparently was, that was one of the first things that he spotted. An invisible spirit apparently knocking a knife down in the kitchen. This is the worst, and you touched upon this already. A pig-like creature with red eyes uh, staring down at George and his son, uh, Daniel, from a window. George is the one who says he woke up one night to see his wife, Kathy, levitating off their bed, as well as, on a separate night, uh, Daniel and Christopher. Pretty brutal stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, for people who've read the book or seen the movies, I'm not going to go through all the things that happened in that movie and go, this was real and that wasn't. I'm just going to talk about the things that allegedly are real. The family themselves or the people that were involved have said that uh, they saw happening. Something that I, wait, something that I wasn't aware of uh, that you're bringing up is that the book isn't entirely accurate because I thought the book was written with the family. It was. But he took some liberties. He took some liberties. He interviewed the family to 
to get that book written. Okay. But they it's not he it's not that he took liberties, it's that he exaggerated some of the things they said they saw. Sell books, right? So in the movie, one of the very first incidents that occurs is a priest comes to visit. And and I'm assuming that happened. That's one of the first events in the book where sort of there's a supernatural happening. Yeah. That's true. Oh. So a priest really did come to bless the house. On December 18th, 1975, the day that the Lutz family was moving into their new Ocean Avenue home, a Catholic priest allegedly came by to bless the house, supposedly at the request of Kathy Lutz, who was very heavily entrenched in the Catholic Church. On October 4th, 1979, a little more than two months after the release of the movie, the investigative television program In Search Of featured an episode that included an interview with who they claim is the real Amityville priest. He wanted to remain anonymous, so his face was kept hidden. And this is what he had to say. I was blessing the sewing room. It was cold. It was really cold in there. I'm like, oh, gee, this is peculiar, because it was a lovely day out. And it was winter, yes, but it didn't account for that kind of coldness. I was also sprinkling holy water and I heard a rather deep voice behind me saying get out it seemed so directed toward me that I was really quite startled I felt a slap at one point on the face I felt somebody slap me and there was nobody there now unlike in the movie the priest never mentioned encountering flies in the home I was so hoping that your priest was going to have an Irish accent because you know, you know, Catholic priests, right? Half of them are Irish. You know, it's Rod Steiger, 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 Rod Steiger, who plays the priest in that movie. I forgot about that. Yes, his his thing he's best known for is uh, playing W. C. Fields in uh, the greatest. What what's the name of that movie? I don't know, but it's the W. C. Fields story. Oh, I know. I'm trying to think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He has since said never saw any flies like in that in the movie there's an iconic moment where he's looking at the window that he can see the family outside and then all of a sudden there's a fly on the window pane and then all of a sudden he's covered in flies and that actually is what gets him out of the house that never happened so at some point after his visit to the lutz's home he discovered unexplained blisters festering on his hand and you know what that was gonorrhea no no they think that in fact was uh, a cheek rhinos (laughs) Very dangerous, very dangerous critter. So he also claimed noise interference prevented any phone. Bless you. I coughed. Oh, it wasn't a sneeze? Nope. Forget it. So he also claimed noise interference prevented any phone communication and he could never get through to warn the family. So he kept trying to call them to say, I really think you need to get out of here. I think your home might be possessed. And he couldn't every time he would call. Uh, it would become staticky and a real issue. It's interesting to me that he would just immediately jump to that, right? I wonder if he had it encountered things before because it just seems weird that that's the first place he'd go. So this is one of the things that I liked about the movie is they deal with that in the movie. Now, of course, that's fictional. We don't know what kind of debate was had on the Catholic Church side of things, but the priests, I'm assuming the the bishop, that he reports to is saying you you have had all these things happen well there's plausible explanations that aren't the devil that could be behind it yeah you know like the phone might actually be broken in their home yeah yeah which is true right and we but we all know too that the catholic church is very hesitant to perform 
exorcisms and 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 I guess in a way, good on them for not always just jumping on these things and talking and just, about that. They're very hesitant to talk about that kind of thing. Yeah. So that priest was later revealed to be Father Ralph uh, Picorero. And like most things related to the Amityville haunting, his story became shrouded in controversy as well, mainly due to various contradictory claims he made regarding his involvement with the Lutz family. But he did exist. That is apparently the guy that that went to the house. Kind of interesting. So is there any hard evidence that this home is in fact haunted? There's no hard evidence. There is some soft evidence, though, as I like to call it. So there's things that suggest perhaps that something weird and creepy uh, exists or existed in that home. Okay. There is a very famous photo called the ghost boy photo. Do you know of this? I did not know of this. The debate over the alleged Amityville ghost image has been going on ever since George Luss first revealed it during an interview on the Merv Griffin show in 1979. Of course. Good old Merv. It had been taken three years earlier in 1976 by Ed and Lorraine Warren's team of paranormal investigators, namely a professional photographer by the name of Gene Campbell. I love them so much, the Warrens. You know them? No, no, no. Well, one of them's dead. But I love the, the I love the Warrens. Well, I, I meant love... you knew of them. I didn't mean you know them and hang out with them. Well, you know, um, it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. What is? The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. They're in that. Well, that's based on their files. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I love the Warrens. We should do the Warrens. Like, we should. Yeah, uh, that'd be yeah. good. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So Campbell had set up a camera equipped with black and white infrared film to shoot automatically during the night. Numerous rolls of film were used, but only one of the hundreds or thousands of images that were taken, only one ended up having a suspicious image in it. And in the picture is, it looks like a little boy peering out from a dark doorway with uh, these white ghostly eyes. Oh, some believe that it is a demon or possibly the ghost of the murdered DeFeo boy, John. Cool. And the person or whatever that entity is in the photo does, it does have a resemblance to that deceased boy. Now, others claim that it is, in fact, a man named Paul Bartz, who was one of the investigators that was there. And that the reason why, and this, this does make sense, the reason why that it has white eyes is just because of the infrared camera, right? Right. I guess right. the... But if you look at it, and I'll post this on Facebook, uh, it doesn't look like a man to me, and it does really look like the little boy. Cool. I've never seen this photo. So cool. So did a swarm of flies ever appear in the home? And I mean, in the, in the movie, it's a constant motif, right? They're they're present at many different moments. Yeah, and I think in the book they're associated with her sewing room. I think I think they mentioned that. I could be wrong. It's been a while. So. Apparently, there were a lot of flies in the home, okay. according to the family. During an interview with Inside Edition in 2005, remember that show? Is that, I think that's still on. Well, wasn't, that's where Bill O'Reilly came from. Yeah, that asshole. So uh, in this uh, interview, Chris, one of the boys, explained that there were definitely a lot of flies, but nothing like what Hollywood is portraying it as. His brother Daniel also mentioned issues with flies in his documentary, My Amityville Horror, but he claims, no, there were more than what 
uh, Chris was was saying, there were a lot. It wasn't a normal amount of flies in our home, especially for the time of year that they were there. Well, there's no such thing as a normal amount of flies in a home. I mean, I don't have flies in my home. No, but in the summertime, you're going to have flies here and there. You know what's the weirdest thing is flies that suddenly come back to life in your house in the middle of the winter. They just appear. Yeah. It's weird, eh? You're like, where'd that fucking come from? Yeah, I know. It's the devil. Well, probably. I've always said, if I see a fly, I don't care if I'm in the house or outside the house. I'm like, oh my God, there's the devil. Me too. That and squirrels. I don't know what's going to happen with my squirrels that I befriended last summer. Because now that I have a dog, I feel like, "Mm, I don't really need them anymore. Yeah, well, maybe it's time to let go. They probably want to move on too. I think they're dead. I don't see the one that I became closest with anymore. So did Missy, the little girl, uh, have an imaginary friend named Jody? If you've seen the film, she's constantly referring to Jody and there's a rocking chair that moves and stuff like that. So according to George, she did have an imaginary paranormal friend named Jody. The entity would present itself to uh, Missy in different forms, including an angel or a large pig. In the movie, George, who's played by the lovely James Brolin, father of uh, Josh Brolin, Mm -hmm. and Gary Brolin, who's very famous in the Electric Spoons scene, uh, sees Jody in pig form in an upstairs window. Earlier, his wife Kathy sees Jody's glowing red eyes through a window in the darkness. Now, did any of that happen? We're not too sure, except this is weird here's some more soft evidence Mm -hmm. apparently missy let's did a lot and she won't talk by the way she will she refuses to do any interviews and things like that so she did a lot of drawings as a child and she drew jody quite a bit and the creature in the drawings looks more like a cat than a pig but it could also be just a poor drawing of a pig right and you can see i'll post these up as well um because they've been preserved and it's sort of a dystopic, creepy, Armageddon-y type background in in one the one photo that I saw. And apparently, she would do a lot of these drawings and draw Jody and doing different things and and uh, pretty creepy stuff as well. Did Daniel get his hand smashed in a window? And there's a scene again where the little boy's got his hand out a uh, out, out a window, and the the window comes crashing down on his hand. This apparently did happen, according to to Daniel. He uh, he 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 was just sort of standing there, and the window just came crashing down. They couldn't get the window up. Daniel is quoted as saying, "It was skin on skin," and uh, he still has the scars to prove it on his his hand. So this apparently really did happen. Now again, was that a supernatural entity forcing the window closed? Or is it just one of those, you know, it's an old window. It's one of those old wooden frame windows that slide up. Go up and down, yeah. Yeah, that can happen, right? So that apparently did uh, did happen. The Red Room, which becomes sort of the focal point to perhaps the source of the evil in the house, that too really did exist. And it was under the stairs. Now, the way that it's depicted in the movie, it it's it's walled up. Like they have to break through to get into it. 
apparently it wasn't like that in real life, mm-hmm. but it was this weird, creepy sort of hidden room. There was a door to it though. Mm-hmm. And it was red for no particular reason. I've heard speculation about the red room mm-hmm. that previous owners of the house before the DeFeos had a son who was involved in amateur photography and oh. had painted the room as, 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 because red, safe color, and that was where he would develop his prints. So that was one explanation that's been offered about the Red Room. Makes sense. Yeah. So some history about the area, because one of the questions that I had, you know, in doing the research for this was, first of all, like, did this ever happen to anybody else? No. So DeFeo's and then the Lutzes, that's it. That as far as we can tell. Well, also too, you can't even group the DeFeos into that because there is no manifestation. There's just murder. Right. Except for the claim, except for the claim from a junior that he heard voices telling him to do it. Yeah. Cause no schizophrenics ever said that before. No, but I'm just saying that people will say, well, no, that was the devil. Right. So some history of the area, there's been claims that the home itself was a burial ground. A, a uh, an indigenous burial ground. It's not. It, it never was. However, there were there actually are uh, burial grounds in the area close by, as well. Uh, there was a rumor that a person by the name of John Ketchum was buried there. That it was his home, and that he was buried on the ground. And um, John Ketchum was apparently a witch who escaped the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. And uh, migrated to that area and set up shop. That's true. Now, was he a witch? No way of knowing that. Is he buried there? They're not sure. They don't think so. But that is the area that his home was in. Okay. Obviously, in the late 1600s, the plots are not the same as they are now, right? Because now it's kind of like just, it's actually a tight sort of subdivision. The homes are not super far apart. As well, there were a number of famous murders in the area. So there was the Amityville murders, something, and I don't know a lot about this, maybe you do, the Reza murders. Nope. As well as the Son of Sam, which is close by, right? But it's fucking, it's fucking Long Island. Long Island, Long Island is a weird place. No. Right? There's so much shit on Long Island. And, and these three murders especially suggests the involvement of demons and animals and killings by rage. You know, with them, there's claims of demon possession in the son of Sam. The killer said a talking dog told him to do it in Amityville. There was Jody, the pig. Furthermore, there was a witchcraft link. At the very least, there was a similarity of culture in all of them. And in all three cases, there was an increasing rage that led to the kill that led the killer to snap. The earliest case involving claims of demon possession and murder in this County was in 1657 where, and I love this person's name, Goody Garlic, not spelt like the, what is garlic? Is that a vegetable? It's G-O-O-D-Y, right? It's uh, G-A-R-L-I-C-K. No, Goody. Oh, Goody is a G-O-O-D-Y. Yeah, Goody was meant good wife. Good, it was, Goody is an abbreviation for the good wife. Goody. There's in Salem, because I'm from that part of the world, there was a ton of women named Goody this and Goody that. Okay. So in 1657, uh, Goody is accused of being a witch. Uh, In addition, there was uh, apparently in that area, mysterious animal sighted that 
some people actually describe this. This is dating hundreds of years ago. That sounds similar actually to Jody the pig. Okay. So a large pig with fiery eyes. Other people claimed it was a strange black cat, or they could have been the same or different uh, entities. Oh, no one really knows. You know what, bit. Dan? Maybe it was Ketchum's familiar. Ooh. Spooky times. So, and to go back to John Ketchum, I mentioned that he did move from Salem to uh, that area. He and he didn't settle where the the Amityville house is, but really close. And actually, ended up becoming kind of like a prominent citizen in that area, and ended up like that family had long, long roots. There's an account of George Washington visiting one of his descendants wow. on that property, and yeah, it's really that's a rabbit hole that I'm not going to go down, but. Some really strange stuff. So there was another weird uh, Suffolk County murder that is even more recent. And it's related actually to the Amityville uh, murders. And it was in 1984. And it was led by a guy by the name of Ricky Casso. And it occurred in the nearby village of Northport. So apparently Ricky was was really into the whole Amityville murders. He apparently staged a seance uh, on the grounds shortly after the murders had occurred, had always been sort of um, intrigued by it and into the occult and into demon uh, devil worship. Oh, dear. Ricky Casso and James Troiano were accused of killing a 17-year-old by the name of Gary Lowers. And um, this is going to be gross, so if you want to... Uh, not listen here for a moment. They gouged out his eyes and then stabbed him 17 times at the culmination of a, of a three hour torture session. Oh God. At the end of the ordeal, Castle and Troiano forced Lowers to say, I love you, Satan. Although police claimed Castle and Troiano killed Lowers in a dispute over stolen drugs. Castle had previously become obsessed with black magic and Satanism as previously mentioned. After reading LaVey's Satanic Bible, which you wrote a few verses of that Bible. <laughs> you know, I, I've read some of the Satanic Bible, and it's not what you think. No. It's really not what you think. No. And we talked we talked about that yeah. with maybe the Paymon and stuff. Like we that. did talk about, yeah, and all the Satanic panic and all that nonsense. So after the murder, they did apparently boast that he was, Gary was a human sacrifice he actually ended up killing himself. He hung himself uh, in his prison cell as he was awaiting trial. Okay. So many people question the validity of the Lutz's story. After telling the story, George and Kathy took a lie detector test to prove their innocence. They passed. The couple was bogged down in legal and financial issues, which prompted skeptics to believe they had, the mo- they had a motive to create a fantastical story to sell to the public. George was mired in debt and definitely had a motive to sell his story. The Lutz's former lawyer, William Weber, who fell out with them over money issues, came out in 1979 claiming the three of them came up with the horror story over many bottles of wine. Oh. According to son Christopher, George and Kathy did not, though, have trouble paying their mortgage. Due to the history of the home, it was listed, as we've mentioned, well under asking price. And during an interview with Spooky South Coast, Chris says that George and Kathy were able to make a large down payment with the money they got from selling his mother's house as well as George's house. They were both divorced. So they had two homes that they were selling. They were like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. And they, he was he was even collapsing part of his business so that he could work out of his, he had a survey company. Mm-hmm. Um, so his this home was also going to be his place of work. So he was saving a bunch of money. And I will say this about 
because the family denies this. That doesn't make any sense. Let's buy this great home uh, for $80,000. And then let's concoct a story that we were possessed and we're going to make everything back. No, what you would do is you would stay there for a few years and turn it for a massive profit if you're struggling. And it sounds like they did have the money to pay their mortgage payments. Right. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. No, and you are guaranteed that that home is going to make you very rich. Yeah. If yeah. you play, play it smart. To only stay there for 28 days, I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You're right. So Daniel, uh, who lives a quiet life in Queens, New York, as a stonemason, claims the house ruined his life and that he continues to have nightmares to this day. Mm. Uh, the murderer, Ron DeFeo, he uh, he still stands by his story that he uh, that he heard voices urging him to kill his family, but he's changed his story many times over the years. But you know what? He's also probably mentally ill. So that I, and that part too, I boy, it sure sounds like a drug induced schizophrenia. Well, yeah, and and schizophrenia also manifests then. That's when it hits, right? Yeah, your early twenties, your late teens, your early twenties. So. Is the Amityville story a hoax? Nearly every aspect of what is seen in the Amityville horror movie has been the subject of controversy and debate. The family almost unanimously agrees that the movie is an exaggeration, but to what degree we may never know because they keep so, well, they keep sort of contradicting each other. George Lutz admitted that as of 2005, he has been involved in no less than 14 Amityville-related lawsuits. In an interview with People magazine, which people say is the most reputable magazine in the world. I mentioned it, I mentioned it before, the easiest crossword to uh, to do. I can do it. So George Lutz emphasized in this magazine, People magazine article that the lawsuits were to protect his family's story rather than being about money. But he's making money from it. Each member of the real Lutz family, except for Missy, who I mentioned won't do interviews, has at some point contradicted one or more of the other family members' stories. And these particular members of the family have also had one or are on one or more occasions attempted to profit from their own take on the real Amityville house haunting. So it doesn't shine a great light on them. But can you blame them? No, maybe not. You know, because a lot of times when things happen, you will be approached instantly by publishers, by all kinds of people who want to make money off you. So maybe it's a situation like that where they are being pursued by people who want to talk to them. Well, and a few things too about that. Um, we know that time changes how you remember things. Mm -hmm. The boys were really young when this happened, but even for mom and dad, that's a long time ago. That's what uh, now it's, it's closing in on almost 50 years. Yeah. So... Uh, and I could do that, Riley, because I'm really good at math. Years. It's about 40 years. No, it's not. It's 1979. That's the movie. Oh. This happened in 74 or five, uh, 75. Okay. Okay. Then you're right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Don't question me. I'm really good at math. 1975 is a very good year. It's a year of Jaws. Just wait till I get into Pythagoras' theorem. I love the way you said that, like you were sloshed. Just swear to like it's Pythagoras theorem. Yeah. So none of these facts mean that the entire story is a hoax, but they do allow room for doubt. And I guess that's sort of the key point, right? It doesn't mean that they're lying, but it doesn't look good. 
like we talked about um uh, like the area 51 stuff and some of the most compelling things are when the people's stories haven't really changed or they things that they said a long time ago are proven to be true yeah and that's just not the case here Perhaps the only fact that is indisputable is that Ronald DeFeo Jr. was convicted of murdering his family in the Amityville house prior to the Lutzes moving in. In 1979, many people believed that the truth behind the Amityville horror had been revealed when attorney William Weber came forward and, and said, though, I, we made this up over you know the dinner table. Uh, it was a, a scheme to make money. However, the impact of Weber's revelation was short-lived when it was discovered that he was emblazoned in his own legal battle with the Lutzes at the time and may have had motive to purposely discredit their story. So the Amityville house still stands. The way that light shone there, I thought you weren't wearing pants all of a sudden. Could you imagine? No, no, I was just looking to see if it was still there, and it's still there. I thought it was gone. No, it's still there, but they did change the address. So it was originally 112 Ocean Avenue. It's now been changed to 108. One of the interesting things too about it, I don't know if you're look how you're looking at it, but if you do street view, it's been blurred out. Oh. And not supernatural. That that's a simple thing you can you can ask, yeah, yeah, request. Yeah. Apparently it's rather easy to have uh, Google remove. Let's say you showed up uh and the car passed by and you wanted your face out it's really easy to to have them remove it i wouldn't care what's the point who cares well you have your face plastered everywhere those gonorrhea ads you're running all the time now hey you know what i make like three or four hundred dollars a week off those ads especially in some you know eastern european countries where gonorrhea is rampant mm-hmm. i'm a huge star there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know what I was going to say about the um, Amityville house is it just looks evil. It's those it's those attic windows that look like mean little eyes. Do they remind you of your childhood, Billy? Little Ricky Slater? It was Ricky Slater. The mean little bully that used to bully you around? I, I don't know anyone by that name. The person who did bully me, though, his first name is Roly. There was a bully in my neighborhood called Roly. Maybe everyone named that turns out to be a bully. I can't say his last name because I just, I can't. And he might be probably turned out to be hopefully a nice person. No, he turned out to be a cop. Oh, well, I know cops that are nice people. Yeah, but g- given what I know about this person, and he was a teenager then, um, this is the last kind of person you would ever want to be in law enforcement. He was a thug. He was a thug. There was also a bully in my neighborhood that he would, Frequent a park. It's actually probably a really sad story because he was always alone, but he was huge. And the play structure had this huge uh, plastic tube that you could crawl through. Yes. You know, in there. He would hang out in there and he wouldn't let you through. So he was kind of like a troll under the bridge. Oh. And I remember his name was Gaston, and we thought we were getting him good by calling him Gas Stove. That's a true story. I love that you called him gas stove. So we would be on our bikes circling the play structure going, hey, gas stove, get out of there. Oh. He would peer and go, ah, get out of here. In, in retrospect, he was probably just a really lonely, he was older, like quite a bit older. He was big. Probably a really lonely, sad soul that we were terrorizing, thinking you know he was the monster. But in fact, we were the monsters. Yeah, seriously. We had one of those play structures in our neighborhood, but no one would go near it. You know why? Because the big kids would pee in the sliding tube. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was always a problem. Yeah. So this home has been has turned over hands a few times. But here's the weird thing is that, again, waterfront, 
it's never really sold for very much. Like the last time it was sold was in 2017. And it only sold for $600,000. And it's 4,000 square feet. That's a big one. And it's on the water with a boathouse and everything. And you could tell there's it's mansions sort of that are next to it, right? So really odd. But no one who's lived there since has claimed anything weird has happened. However, I will say this. Maybe you wouldn't because you want to sell the home. You know, you keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah. But if shit was happening, I'd be out of there so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So weird stuff in the area. Certainly the, we know that a really creepy, terrible tragedy occurred there for sure. Whether or not there was something evil and satanic and supernatural about the place. Don't think we'll ever really know, but definitely a story. I think uh, that, uh, Deserved a little bit of spotlight action there. I'm glad you brought it up because I'm glad every now and then we bring up the classics. Right. And that's sort of what this felt like a little bit. This was a classic. It's the weird's greatest hits, right? It's Area 51's like that. Diat Love is like that. Mary Celeste. They're, you know, they're the greatest hits of of that. And I'm glad because last week I found this really obscure, weird thing. So I'm glad we kind of every now and then open up the gates to something that's a little bit more culturally well-known. My next one, I'll just give you a bit of a sort of heads up, a preview of it. A teaser? It's a teaser. It's about a a bus that had to go 50 uh, miles per hour. And if it didn't, a bomb would go off. That was a good movie. Jurassic Park. Sandra Sandra Bullock has been very lucky. She's um, in her career. Mm -hmm. And so is Keanu Reeves. They're uh, very lucky people. But that was what started her career off, that movie. Was that really, that was the first big one for her? That was her big one. Yeah. That put her on the map. Yeah. And Keanu Reeves already was on the map. Well, he had Bill and Ted's and things like that. Yeah. 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 And he's coming back, right? He's coming back in the Matrix, right? Is he not? Isn't he not in it? The Matrix new movie? There's a new Matrix movie coming out? Yeah. They're they're, they're continuing. What? Look it up. With the Wachowski sisters? Yeah. Who I love. I love. I love. I love their work. I even loved Jupiter Ascending. Honestly, I love, every, I love everything they do. Can I just tell you as a quick aside? Yeah. Because this just popped into my head. You know what I, I started doing over the holidays? Masturbating? No. I started watching, in order, every single James Bond movie. I'm not, I'm not even close to being through. There's like 30 some of them. God, they're so sexist. Okay. I, just, I just finished the Connery era. I, I watched the weird one-off with George Lazenby, which actually is a good movie. Mm-hmm. He's terrible. Not terrible. He's just not, he doesn't have the presence of Connery. Uh, so my next one, which I'll probably start next weekend, is uh, Roger Moore, who I grew up with. He was my favorite. He's my favorite. Yeah. I find uh, Connery a bit cocky. Oh, boy. And there's they're extremely misogynistic, like really bad. That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And, even a bit, and racist. Like there's a some of the early ones, the depictions of like, Asian people and uh, black people are like, and there's now disclaimers at the beginning uh, that say the, this movie hasn't been edited, but just so you know, it's a movie from its time. And all the women in the early movies are just stupid. I feel slap women in the face and stuff. I know they're so stupid. You know, he was a movie star, but I don't know that he was a very good person. Connery I'm talking about. I don't know either. Because he had that famous interview where he talked about, like, sometimes sometimes women need a little slap in the face. Uh, and it's like, oh, my God. And he said that, like, 
in the last 20 years, I think that interview was with Barbara Walters. I should just shut up sometimes. You know what I watched over Christmas and realized I love these movies. Even the bad ones. We watched all of the Jurassic Park sequence. Yeah, see, I, I so and when I watch these movies, these are like daytime movies. This is a movie you put on when you get up early and you have your coffee. And I just want something that I can pay attention, but not fully pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So it plays those old movies like Jurassic Park. I've done, I did that recently too in the last couple of years. Well, we did the, even the recent ones, which I loved, which with, with that, whatever that actor's name is, the good looking guy who's whatever. From Jurassic Park, you mean? The, the later movies. It's that. Oh, Chris, um, um, I was going to say Chris Pine, but it's. Um, we're bad with the names. I mean, Chris something. Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Uh, well, we, people know who we're talking about. Yeah. Star-Lord. He's Star-Lord in... Uh, in from, yeah. From Mar- well, that's what put him on the map, kind of. Yeah. You're looking him up, aren't you? Yeah, because it's bothering me. Chris, 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 Chris. Chris Pratt. Christopher Pratt. Yes. He, got, he lost all that weight and got super hot. And then it was like... Whoop. Well, you could see it because he was on Parks and Recreation when that happened. And he's puffy. And you could see in Parks and Rec that he started to lose weight. Yeah. And he also stopped appearing in episodes. I actually really liked uh, those movies with him in it. There's that one scene where they grab that businesswoman, the pterodactyls, and they just keep going at her. And it's hilarious. I, I love those recent ones. In fact, I think they're better than this. I, I love the original, original Jurassic Park, but Lost World. And was there another one? There were three, right? Back in the three. Yeah, and there's one that's really bad. I don't know which one it is. See, do you remember the one where there's this? You know, it, there's nothing in the world I love more than really suspense, suspenseful moments in movies where you're just like holding on to the chair because it's just so intense. There's one where there's a bus turned on its end and they're all holding on to it. And when you, somebody falls and hits the, the window at the bottom and it breaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I think that's not the old one. No, that's like the second or third. Of the recent ones. No, no, no. No, I think it's one of the older ones. It is. Eh? I think okay. Jeff Goldblum's in that. Anyway, that scene is so beautifully done. By the way, did I tell you I watched Wonder Woman at Christmas? And you hated it. I fucking hated it. And I won't watch it now. I hated it. And the reason I hated it was because that Pablo Pascal guy, who is the Mandalorian, like went to Mr. Bean's school and delivers the most ham-fisted, like over-the-top villain performance like i think he thinks he's in wonder woman the series from like the 70s it's so preposterous interesting but that's a director's choice and the whole and the whole move patty jenkins yeah and the whole movie's not at that level if you're like if you're it would have been fine in an austin powers movie where everything is at that level but it's not all at that level oh my god it was irritating oh my god yeah, I don't want to watch it. I don't really care for those DC movies. Yeah, I just, I, yeah, whatever. You'd be much better served watching Mank. Not Monk, but Mank. Or I will Monk. watch Mank. It's on my list. And Tony Shalhoub is a great actor. So if you I know, Monk, but he's not, he didn't deserve all those Emmys. Well, he's a good actor. He's in uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel right now, which is one of And them. I like Tony Shalhoub. I liked him in Wings. Was he in Wings? Yes. That weird sitcom. He played someone from away. He had an accent. He was from away. Okay, like you talk a bit like uh, Balky in Perfect Strangers. You know, I went to see Come From Away in Ottawa here, and I spent a lot of money on tickets. And the audio, they had problems. Why and I tell people, people have no idea what you're talking about right now. It's a musical. One a Tony, of course, they know what I'm talking about. But not everyone might be. Not everyone's familiar with the Tonys. Tell, explain what it's about. Look it up. Anyway, um, it's about it's about 
9-11. 9-11 aircraft being grounded in Newfoundland. And how they, the people on those planes were taken in by and the shown hospitality by the Newfoundlanders. Anyway, we went the night the audio was bad and I couldn't understand a word of the show. Dan, I'm not kidding. Not a word. Not a word of the show could I understand because it's just the mics weren't working properly and I couldn't. It was just like, it was like this, it was like this. It was like that. Is it possible that you were inebriated that night? Nobody. I don't drink, you know that. Nobody in um, our seats could hear it. So There were other people sitting in the same seat as you? Everybody I know who went that night. Someone was in your lap. What was in my lap? Yeah, it was. A, no, that was the bar we went to afterwards. And that's how I got gonorrhea. And crabs. No, not crabs. Stop with the crabs. We're going to think I'm some kind of like bell-bottom whore. Well, everybody, <laughs> that is the end of this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And again, I enjoyed researching it because, again, it was something that was a big part of my childhood. So it was kind of cool to learn the real story behind it, right? If you enjoy what you are listening to, then please uh, rate us and uh, and subscribe to our show. As well, if uh, you you know like what you're hearing and want to spread the good message of the weird out there, let your friends, coworkers, family know about our show. We don't ask for much except that. All we ask for is you to listen and people to listen and like. That's it. That's all. Well, Riley, I think it's time we say goodnight. I do too. Yeah, it's been a long, uh, long evening. So uh, we'll go to our respective camps and regroup and we'll see everybody again real soon. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. The river runs dry like a river.